Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Mind Shifters Radio with the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice. I'm Jeannie Rice, your co-host. We also have co-hosts Dr. Tim Hayes and Michelle Pichet. We will share with you the wisdom of the first century Aramaic internal process of forgiveness. We offer tools and support five days a week. We will support you in building a solid foundation within yourself to live in pure love in Aramaic, Brachna. Michael is the author of the book, Why Is This Happening to Me Again? For more information about the forgiveness process, please visit www.whyagain.org. And now, welcome to the show, Mind Shifters Radio. Hello and welcome to Mind Shifters Radio. I'm Tim Hayes. I'm your host for the first hour. And today is Wednesday, May 31st, 2023. As always, we're grateful to everyone who's joining us here today, whether you're listening live or through the archives, as we spend another couple of hours teaching and supporting people in using some of the most powerful, effective, efficient, and accessible tools I've ever encountered. These tools are available absolutely free through the tireless efforts of Dr. Michael and Janie Rice on the website at whyagain.org. If you go to that website and click on the two words that say start here in the upper left-hand corner, it will take you to a page where you can download and read Chapter 24 of Dr. Michael Rice's book. His book is titled, Why Is This Happening to Me Again? That chapter of the book contains a narrative description and explanation of the primary tool in this work. That tool is called the Reality Management Worksheet, sometimes called the Reality Management Wake-Up Sheet. And it's a tool I've been using to great effect for over 18 years to improve the quality of my life and most of my relationships and to turn any negative emotional experience I have into part of the infallible guidance system that each and every one of us has been given. You can also download the actual worksheet process itself. It's a simple PDF file. Click the link, download it, print it off, copy it as often as you'd like, and use it over and over again absolutely free. You can also go to your app store and type in the three words, Heartland Aramaic Forgiveness. And if you do that, before you're done typing the word forgiveness, you'll see the glowing heart icon. If you choose to tap on that, it will let you download a completely free and private app It contains the Reality Management Worksheet. It contains an abbreviated version of that worksheet process. And it contains a copy of the Dragon Klingon game, which is a wonderful way to introduce these tools to even younger audiences. We hope people do all of that soon and often, primarily because it tends to improve the quality of people's lives the more they actively apply the use of these tools in their lives. Secondarily, because it also tends to to prompt comments, questions, answers, and testimonials. And if you have any of those to share with us, we would be grateful if you would do so by giving us a call at 563-999-3581 or emailing tjh at mindshifters-academy.org or emailing genie at j-e-a-n-i-e at whyagain.org. That's w-h-y-a-g-a-i-n.org. If we get an email from you, we will address the comment or question in the Internet show, 
and as time allows, send you a a notification about what day and time we discussed your comment, question, answer, or testimonial, and you can listen back to the archives for the input. As I like to say, we appreciate when people do that because it makes it far easier for us to live into our intention with this work. The intention we have with this work is to be of service, and that's far easier to do when we know how this stuff is landing with you, what's, what's of most use to you, and or what particular roadblocks you're facing that we might assist you in overcoming. So... This is my second day back after having been away for a little over a week, and yesterday we just had some discussion with Susan Bingham, and this morning I had the distinct pleasure of interviewing Sandy Wilder. Sandy is located in... um, Oh, a little town... It starts with the letter G, Grafton, Illinois, down by St. Louis, Illinois. And he works, does a lot of his work remotely, and he also does uh, in-person coaching and vision quests and things like that. Um, I, I knew it would be a lovely discussion because I was referred to Sandy by... Pierre Prattervand, and I was completely thrilled. We have lots of similarities. He is working with the same kinds of core tools. He's trained in the the work by Byron Katie, and he's trained in other deep listening skills. His website, should you care to check it out, is educareunlearning.com E-D-U-C-A-R-E U-N-L-E-A-R-N-I-N-G educareunlearning.com And um, if you go there and uh, check out, he has a, a, a way to be put on his mailing list and he sends out um, daily insights um, which is something Pierre Prattervand mentioned is part of his daily routine and uh, so I highly recommend it Um, Sandy is um, has been working at this probably as long as I have Um, and by this I mean doing his own personal work learning how to facilitate others in listening and getting clarity and having life purpose etc so I would uh, encourage you to check that out. It's Sandy Wilder at educareunlearning.com. 
You can also find him on Instagram and Facebook, where he'll his Instagram will uh, give you access to those daily insights that he posts. He calls them, I think he calls them unlearning insights. So, listening and deep listening was part of our conversation, and um, if you're at all interested. I will make sure that we mention it when that particular episode of the On Your Mind podcast goes live. And depending upon how this unfolds, I might um, I might create it as a an audio file for one of these Mind Shifter radio shows in the near future. It's um, it was a lovely exchange. So, again, our call-in number is 563-999-3581. If you call that number and press 1, we can have a conversation. Uh, yesterday I was mentioning that we, we didn't get back to reading essays from the Walk in the Physical book by Christian Sundberg, so that's my intent today if no one has a comment or a question. Essay number 86 from that book is titled Focus Creates Momentum. And the essay reads, what you practice being is what you will be. This reality system, this reality is a system in which you create momentum of interpretation and over the long term the reality reinforces back to you a reflection of the momentum you have created. Now, what the heck does that mean? If I practice saying you made me angry, you hurt my feelings, I come to believe that that's what's happening. If I was trained and conditioned by my family, by my culture, by my life experiences, by my friends, by my work experiences, to believe that when somebody does something and soon after they do something or I see or hear that they did something, I experience pain. If I've been conditioned to believe they caused my pain, that's what I believe and that will be the reality I live in. That will be the experience that I have. An experience of this occurred in the Internet show, not in the Internet show, in the uh, support group last night. Tuesday nights, Thursday nights, we have support groups. They're available absolutely free. If you want information about that, you can go to the mindshiftersacademy.org website, and there's a separate login page for the information for login for Tuesday and Thursday. So last night in the group, one of our members was talking about Having someone say something that, quote, deeply offended them, close quotes. And I was fairly quick to point out, because that's the structure of our group, that that person did not offend them. That what the person said did not offend them. But that they chose an interpretation for what was said resonated a meaning that they're holding inside of them that's connected to a lot of upset 
or pain. In the moment, this person said, well, here's what it feels like to me. It's like they have my thumb in a vice and they're cranking it tighter and tighter. That's how painful this is. And it came to me to say in that moment, that's a wonderful image. And all we want you to understand with this work is you created the, the, the vice, you put your thumb in it, and you're the one cranking it tighter. And we would like to help you learn how to crank it in the opposite direction to loosen the device and to pull your thumb out of the vice itself. If she chooses to look at that image that way, as though she's actually creating the vice, she's putting her thumb in it, and she's cranking it down, now she can build momentum for that interpretation, which will have her taking more and more closer to 100% responsibility for every emotional pain she experiences. And with the addition of tools like the Reality Management Worksheet and the EFT tapping and the Mind Shifter targeted journaling tool and the three earliest memories of conflict and the responsibility communication tool and all of these other, the Mind Goal Management Sheet, these other tools that Dr. Rice offers, if she chooses to use them, she can actually dismantle the vice in the first place, she can just make sure she keeps her her thumb out of the vice. And next, as she continues to go, she can dismantle the actual structure that's causing pain within her. This essay reads, What you practice being, you will be. This reality is a system in which you create momentum of interpretation and over the long term, the reality you experience reinforces back to you a reflection of the momentum you have created. So the more this person practices at the earliest warning sign of an internal pain or discomfort, they take a calming breath, they turn the focus inside, they recognize their mind wants to tell them, this person offended me or this person is causing my pain, but they see that as an old echo of the past. They turn the focus inside themselves and they ask, how am I creating this pain? What do I need to let go of or see or feel differently about so that I'm not in pain right now? They can build the momentum for creating a much more empowering internal reality. The essay goes on and says, when you judge that reality is a certain way, it will then display itself back to you that way. Not only in the sense that you interpret what you see in that light, but also in the sense that physical events actually tend to happen differently to reinforce your belief. Dr. Michael Rice has a lecture. I believe it's the one titled On Creating Consciously. It's either that one or Empowered to Heal. But the idea is he draws these lines on the board in several different colors, squiggly lines, vertical from the top of the board down to the bottom in different colors. He draws this stick figure person. He says, when you think a thought, there's a device that can actually measure 
the high energy waves that leave your mind when you think a thought. So if you think a thought based on anger, that thought sends out this vibration and it interacts with the primordial soup, the infinite set of possibilities that are the energy of the universe, and it resonates with things for you to be angry about and they collapse out of the quantum potential into things for you to be angry about. If, on the other hand, you think thoughts that are loaded with fear and things to be fearful about, that energy wave leaves your mind, and that energy wave interacts with the energy system and the people around you, and it collapses from the quantum potential of infinite possibilities into a set of very real experiences for you to generate fear about or for you to be fearful of. The good news is the same thing happens if you choose Thoughts that resonate gratitude or love or compassion or kindness or joy. That sends out an energy wave from your mind. That interacts with the quantum potential of all infinite possibilities. And that causes things to collapse into what we would call a solid physical experience that are there to reinforce gratitude and joy and compassion and love this essay goes on and says put simply you get what you expect period our momentum of interpretation is built up from moment to moment or over the course of a lifetime each moment then is an opportunity to change the course each moment is an opportunity to redirect our focus to what we prefer our direction of focus is powerful we often forget that as we tend to believe that the external world occurs irrelevant of our interpretation of it and yet indeed the truth is we build creative momentum with each moment of our lives right now is one of those moments what momentum are you creating in your life right now last night in the support group it just happened that when I suggested here's a lovely image you've created about your thumb in a vice and somebody else cranking that vice down causing you pain in your thumb I would suggest the image that says you've created the vice you've put your thumb in it and you're the one cranking it down she let it in in that moment she said at least a couple times in the group that was a really powerful image for her that helps her see and feel differently about the interaction she was describing it's empowering to understand how I'm creating my own pain but only if I interpret it as empowering if I interpret it as, oh, now I'm to blame for my pain, oh, you're saying it's all my fault, it's not very empowering. The same life experience viewed through different filters is experienced by the observer very differently. This essay said, put simply, you get what you expect. Michael Rice likes to tell the story of somebody who came to his lecture, where it's on creating consciously or whatever it was, 
And he tells the story of having gone to a, a, a workshop he was giving titled, Are You Still Waiting for Your Ship to Come In? What ship did you send out? And in that, he talked about this very dynamic, the thought patterns that I practice, the expectations that I hold and rehearse in life tend to manifest in my life. And at two levels, my interpretation of every event that happens creates my experience of it internally. And the more I expect these negative things, the more it collapses from the quantum potential into what we would call actuality in my life and I get to live with the byproducts of the choices I'm making and where I direct my mind energy. So Michael was talking about that and talking about how if I sit and think all these negative thoughts and I get one response and if I pray and, and ask for abundance, I get another set of experiences, etc. And um, the, the, the person said to him, well, now I know you're wrong because I spend 20 minutes every day praying for abundance and I'm just, I'm living below the poverty level or whatever, I'm always scrambling. And Michael said, well, let's take a look at it. What do you mean you've been praying for years every day for abundance? And the guy says, well, I get up in the morning and I spend 10 minutes praying for abundance and at night 10 minutes praying for abundance. And Michael said, well, what do you do with the rest of your day? And the person launched into, well, I'm so busy and I have to work three jobs and I've got the kids and I've got the house and there's always something going wrong and there's never enough money for this and that. And he got all agitated as he was describing this to Michael. And Michael said, okay, let's just ask the question, which of these two energies, the calm, quiet energy that you have when you say you're praying for abundance 10 minutes in the morning and 10 minutes in the evening, or this agitated, emotionally heightened energy you have describing how miserable your life is, how much you have to scramble around, how there's never enough time for this or that, and never enough money for anything. Which of those do you think has a greater capacity for creation in your life? Look at that for yourself. As I was talking to Sandy Wilder today, I, I asked him about some question about the work he does, and he said, well, you know, I, I like to ask people, what's your level of commitment when they want to work with me? And I, I, Sandy has a background in sports, and so he would say, you know, is your level of commitment, you know, high school, collegiate level, semi-pro, pro, what is, you know, the the level of commitment you have for your spiritual work. And he said, quite honestly, sometimes people say, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm at the pro level. And then Sandy says, okay, what would that look like practically in your life? And the person will say something like, well, I could see doing a, a spiritual practice uh, 15 minutes every other day. And Sandy knows where they're starting. And he says, okay, that's that's basically, you know, high school or maybe even collegiate level, you know, beginner collegiate level, and that's fine if that's where you are. However, 
if you truly want to change your life, you have to change what you're doing with the only truly creative force that you've been given dominion over, and that force is your mind energy. Your mind energy is a creative force, and whatever you point it towards and load it up with extra energy through the emotional energy system in your heart is what you're going to get more of. You're going to create more of. It's always on. It's always creating. Your only option is to choose what direction you're going to point that nozzle of creative energy toward positive, life-affirming, gratitude-based, loving, respectful thoughts, or towards something else. What you practice being, you become. Simply put, you get what you expect. And you may not be aware of how you're creating or adding to the process of creation that's going to result in you getting what you get. That's why there are teachings like this. That's why there's Byron Katie's work where she says, I've discovered that I only suffer when I believe my negative thoughts. My negative thoughts don't cause me suffering until I choose to believe them, until I choose to value them. And The Course in Miracles says very much the same thing. Your suffering will continue only so long as the thoughts that you gave rise to, as you value, as you hold on to the thoughts that are creating them. I'm paraphrasing The Course in Miracles. But that is the dynamic that is seen there. It's seen in Byron Katie's work. It's seen in Michael Rice's work. It's seen in Guy Finley's work. It's seen in Diedrich Wolzak's work. It's seen in the Christian science work. It's seen in Sandy Wilder's work. They're all seeing the same kind of thing and giving slightly different terminology and approaches to it, which is a wonderful thing because people come in all shapes and sizes and colors and flavors, and some people are not going to want to do a Michael Rice worksheet. Some people are not going to want to do the work by Byron Katie. Some of those people might be willing to do the Diedrich Wolzak Choose Again six-step worksheet process. Some of them may not want to do that, but they might be willing to watch Brad Yates' videos and tap along with him until their fingers have calluses on them and transform their life that way. The next essay is titled, Taking Change Beyond the Surface. And the essay reads, The events that take place out in our world are far more than they appear to be on the surface. All things take place first in consciousness space and then in the world of matter. Thus, in order to improve our world, we must first make a change within consciousness. We cannot simply change our circumstances or our leaders. We cannot simply put new systems into place or enact new laws. The change must occur in us. The change must occur 
in you. There is no other way. The change that is required is deeply personal. It's not a change just in the forms we work with. It's not in a change just in the specific ideas, just in the identification, just in the beliefs, just in the human framework. It is not a change just in the contents of the mind. The change that is required is of ourselves, of what we are at the deepest level, beneath all the objects of the physical experience. The objects that we work with, whether they be ideas, identities, beliefs, or systems, these are just the props of our world, and they will come and go. What lasts is us, our true nature, our being, the consciousness of each individual who is actually wielding intent and making real choices every hour of every day. That is the real engine that drives what happens in our world. The physical details and the human systems will naturally work themselves out when we successfully change ourselves. Again, back to the experience last night in that support group. That woman could have said, you're just making semantics. What that person said and did really hurt me, and my pain is real, and you're trying to dismiss it, and you're blaming me. And She could have held on to her image of somebody else cranking the vice on her thumb, creating her pain. She chose to change at a fundamental level that belief system she was holding on to. She chose to take another look at it to say, okay, what if I'm playing a role in this? What if there's something I can do differently? As the Course in Miracles says in, in the lesson, A New Beginning, I hope I'm wrong. I hope there's another way to look at this. I hope this person isn't actually the one causing my pain. Because if they are, then I either have to just put up with it until they decide to change or, or, or search endlessly for a way to change them and everyone like them so that I don't have to experience the pain I'm experiencing. I hope there's another way to look at this. I hope I can choose again. So the objects that we work with, the ideas, the identities, the beliefs, and the systems, these are just the props in our world. And these props come and go. Ganga Ji has a talk where she says, listen, sit, learn to sit, and just don't do any deep meditation. Just watch everything that comes and go. Your thoughts come and go. The leaves on the tree around you come and go. Your breath comes and goes. And as you learn to watch and observe everything that comes and goes, and realize that's not as real as your core. You're left with your core, which is that which never comes and goes. You're introduced to your deeper true self.
the consciousness of each individual who's actually wielding intent and making real choices every hour of every day, that's what lasts us, who we are. That is the real engine that drives what happens in our world. The physical details and the human systems, they will naturally work themselves out when we successfully change ourselves. In order to do that, we must consistently work on the very nature of our intent itself and consciously strive to exercise intent that is loving rather than fearful. Can you consciously choose to intend loving thoughts and loving intentions rather than pouring your mind energy into what your mind is trained to show you, all of these things to be fearful about, all of these things to be agitated and angry about, can you learn to choose consciously to focus your intent on loving thoughts, loving intentions? The answer, we hope, is yes. The essay goes on and reads, we must bravely seek out our own egoic tendencies we must bravely challenge our own beliefs and we must be brave enough to feel, deeply feel what's resonating within us. We must practice being fully consciously present. We must acknowledge our own weaknesses. We must take ownership and we must do our very best to actually be a loving presence in the world. Be a more loving presence in the world. This is different than talking about being love, talking about how love is all there is. This is making a shift within myself to see I am not separate. Everyone I see is a reflection of me, is a part of me. I must be more loving in the world. The essay goes on and says, we must actually put ourselves, others before ourselves, put ourselves after others. The effects of such choices are far greater than they appear to be on the surface. In the face of all the tribulations of earth, Pursuing change can seem daunting. When we look inside of ourselves and see all of our many imperfections, change can seem daunting there too. And yet, in the scope of the big picture, every genuine step toward love is great progress. Every step forward that the soul takes towards actualizing love and overcoming fear, every one of those steps is a genuine step forward for the entire universe. This is important to remember when we turn within ourselves in a common moment and we seek to be better. The real work is done in the common moment, in seeking to make the more loving, the more humble, the more freeing, the more fearless choice 
in any given situation, no matter how mundane it may seem on the surface, and no matter the earthly objects that are involved. The change that you are empowered to make, the thing you have been given dominion over, is where you focus the extremely creative force called mind energy that you've been given dominion over. What will you choose to focus on? Will you choose to continue the pattern of believing that she made me angry, he hurt my feelings, that situation is tragic, this person is scary? Or will I choose again, as Diedrich Wolzak would call us to? And just to remind you, Diedrich Wolzak, choose again, sixstepchooseagain.com. You can find him if you search for him. He has a six-step process that says, whenever you catch yourself in a negative emotional state, take a breath, acknowledge the fact that this is all about you and what's happening inside of you, And then identify the feeling that you're experiencing. Once you've identified the feeling you're experiencing, ask yourself, have I ever experienced this before? And Diedrich says, it will always be a familiar emotion, simply because by the time we're five or six or seven years old, I forget what number he uses, he says we've already experienced every emotion we're ever going to experience. Once you've asked yourself, is this a familiar emotion, and the answer is yes, then just simply ask yourself, what's one of the earliest times I experienced this emotion? Let it come up. Something will bubble up. Trust whatever it is. It may be from five years ago or 50 years ago. It doesn't matter. If it's a, something that doesn't go back to the early years of your life, you can take a centering breath and ask, okay, is there an earlier time? But when you get a memory of a time other than this present moment where you had this very emotion, then remember all the details you can of that moment and visualize going back and talking to your younger self and just do a simple interview. Ask that younger self, what did you make it mean that this situation happened or this person did that or this person said that or you said or did this or that? And when you ask, you'll get an answer. It means I'm stupid or I'm weak or the world is dangerous or whatever. Once you get that, now you know the meaning that you're using to create pain in your life as an adult in the present moment. And his process is to say, back and forth between my current moment self and my younger self, I forgive myself for believing this negative thing about me. I do that from both the younger self position and the current moment position. 
And then I say to myself, I forgive myself for forgetting the truth about me, that I'm whole and complete the way I am, that my essence is unchanging and pure. And I repeat that process enough times that I feel an energetic shift. And then when I come back to the present moment and look at the situation, I will probably feel different about it. That's the six-step process. It's available on his website. Diedrich Wolzak is his name. Chooseagain.com, I believe, is the website. All of these processes say the same thing. If I choose to pour my mind energy into thoughts that say, I'm bad or I'm damaged or I'm broken or unlovable, because of a conclusion I drew and downloaded yesterday or 5,000 yesterdays ago, I will create the discomfort and upset in my energy system just like I did when the original event happened. When I see that that's what's causing the upset I'm experiencing in the moment or the pain or the thumb and the vice experience I'm having in the moment, now I've got something I can change. I can change what I made that situation mean. I can't change whether or not it happened. It's in the past. I can certainly, however, change the meaning I give it and the energy I hold on to it that feeds negative conclusions about myself. I can see their false nature and breathe and soften and release my attachment to them and just experience it differently. So that's what we're offering. That's what we're recommending. That's what the series of tools that Dr. Michael Rice makes available with Jeannie Rice on the website at whyagain.org. And again, there's a whole system of tools. When I was talking to Sandy Wilder today, he talked about a purpose uh, tool, and he talked about the listening tool, and he talked about the work with Byron Katie, and he talked about some hypnosis work that he does. And he's... reminded me that we frequently will go several months or or more on this show without mentioning the host of tools available absolutely free at whyagain.org. The reality management worksheet is simply the core tool. But there's also the three earliest memories of conflict tool. There's also the purpose, personal power, and commitment worksheet for your secondary purpose. There's also the responsibility communication tool. There's also the mind goal management sheet. The list goes on, and they're available absolutely free. And when you take that comprehensive approach to identifying and then releasing your attachment to the negative beliefs you hold on to, you can improve the quality of your life by leaps and bounds. And it's only going to be limited to how much you're willing to actively engage the use of those tools. In the example that Sandy Wilder gave in the interview today, if you're somebody who says, I can probably donate or, or, or commit 15 minutes every other day, you're going to get one level of results. If you double that and say 15 minutes every day, you're going to get another level of results. 
if you say 15 minutes three times a day, you're going to get an entirely different level of results. The next essay here is titled, Constraints on the Mechanism for Growth. And the essay reads, A man I admire once said something to the effect that physical incarnation is like holding a pea between two fingers and squeezing down on it to force the pea's core out of the skin. It can't go up. It can't go down, but it's got to go somewhere. So the pea just shoots out in some wild direction. Being physical imposes all sorts of constraints upon us in accordance with the rule set of this physical reality. We seem to have time. We seem to have height and weight. We seem to have age. We seem to have limits to our physical strength. We seem to have a certain amount of earning power or intelligence. These are the constraints they're talking about. We experience the constraints of having to live, having to think, having to function with a body of flesh. We experience social constraints as we are affected by others. We experience resource constraints and location constraints and time constraints. Yet, all of these constraints are meant to allow us to experience a truer and much more fundamental set of constraints. What is that? Our inner constraints. The feelings and thoughts that arise in response to our physical constraints cause us to enter into a complex jungle of seemingly forced self-discovery. The world may seem to take our money. We feel powerless. The world may seem to thwart our relationships. We feel lonely. The world may seem to bring disease to our body. We feel pain. We typically perceive all these conditions as negative. And yet, hidden in them is the very meaning and power of physical experience. For they allow us the opportunity to actually better improve, strengthen our true selves, our lasting selves. In the near-death experience of a woman called, named Amy Call, C-A-L-L, she recounts that a wise being who had mastered humility was gathered among many spirits who would also benefit from learning it. He telepathically said to her something to the effect of, quote, all I can do is plant a seed of interest for them to learn it for themselves. Without a physical body, they cannot grow in that way. They need the contrast of the physical experience in order to learn. What are they going to learn? 
How about humility? How about compassion? How about patience? How about perseverance? How about focus of intention? We cannot learn of those things without having a physical experience in this mindset, in this set of teachings. Is this the absolute truth of life? I don't know. Is this a useful way for me to think about it and apply it in my life? So far, it has been. And as long as it continues to be, I will use it to good effect. So this person in the non-physical had mastered humility and he said, all I can do to teach others about humility is plant a seed of interest for them to learn about it for themselves. Because without a physical body, they cannot grow in that way. They need the contrast of the physical experience in order to learn humility. The essay goes on and says, let we who have bodies take a fresh look at the contrast in our lives. Every pain, every challenge, every quandary holds a bountiful treasure if we are willing to fearlessly venture inward to discover what it is about ourselves that's being challenged by any given experience. As long as the woman in the support group last night said, you don't get it, they really are causing me pain, they really do have my thumb in a vice, they really are cranking down on that lever, on that screw and tightening, as long as she holds that view, she cannot change. And she cannot learn. But this last paragraph, second to last paragraph in this essay says, here's an invitation for all of us who have bodies. The invitation is for us to take a very new, very fresh, clean look at every contrast in our lives. Every pain, every challenge, every quandary, holds a beautiful treasure if we are just willing to fearlessly venture inward and to discover what it is about ourselves that's being challenged by any given experience. Boy, you could not have a better summary statement of everything Guy Fenley teaches than that last statement. Every pain, every challenge, every quandary holds a bountiful treasure if we are willing to fearlessly venture inward to discover what it is about ourselves that is being challenged in any given experience. The last paragraph says, you are powerful enough to seek out your negative self-perceptions and meet them. You are resilient enough to seek out your pains and feel them. You are loving enough to seek out your demons and hug them. That one hits me. You are loving enough to seek out your demons and hug them. 
you are brave enough to seek out your fears and sit with them fully. For the power of that inward journey is great, and one of the primary reasons you've come to this place of apparent limitations is to have just such a journey and to use it for all it can be. And that last little bit reminds me of a Guy Finley story. Guy Finley tells a story of a person who had been doing their spiritual work and had some challenges and came through them on the other side and they woke up one morning and they were in a new kingdom. And as they woke up in this bed, they explored the house and they found it was a farmhouse they were in. And as they explored the farmhouse, it was kind of, kind of, you know, rustic but comfortable inside. And as they looked out the windows, they saw this rather large farm. But it was a mess. There were rocks and sticks and twigs and there wasn't any planting done and all it was growing was weeds. And, and they decided they should go back and take a nap. So they went back and went to sleep because, boy, there's a lot of work to do in this new kingdom. And what better thing to do when you get to a new place that needs a lot of work but just take a nap? And he woke up, and guess what? All the work was still there. So he ventured outside, and it was almost completely overwhelming again. He almost went back inside, but he noticed the farm right next door was beautiful. And there was his neighbor with her husband out there working in the field, and alongside of them was this most magnificent creature he'd ever seen. Beautiful, smooth skin, rippling muscles, clearly intelligent, picking up boulders and taking them out of the field, doing the work for these people that were sitting there with it. And he ran over and said, hey, you know, I'm new here, and I'm I'm, I'm, I'm just thrilled with, you know, the opportunities here, but boy, there's a lot of work over here, and you you've got you've got this thing there helping you, and what is that thing? And he says it it's a it's a what is, and what well, what's a what is? And he says, well, you have to go back and and do your own work, and and, and you'll discover it. But you know, I, I got to get back to work here, and and. So our hero, our, our journeyer, goes back and on the way back to the house decides to reach down and pick up a stick that's half buried in, in the dirt. And as he pulls the stick out, there's this black ooze, this putrid smelling substance that's oozing out. And he drops the stick and runs into the house to get away from this putrid, ugly thing that was coming out of the ground, and then he went back and had another nap. And when he woke up, there's all that work to do. So he thought, well, place where I picked up that stick, that must be a, a bad part of the farm. So we went to another far- part of the farm, and he picked up a rock that was half buried in the dirt. And as he picked up the rock, that same ugly black ooze came out again. And he threw it back in and went back in the house and had another nap. Eventually, after a few days of this, going to all these different parts of his farm, he decided to go and ask his neighbor about this horrible thing that happened every time he tried to do work around his farm. And um, 
his neighbor said, "Oh yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a what that's a, that's a what's not." He said, "What do you mean it's a what's not?" He said, "Well, it's a it's a what's not." And and eventually, if you you know do your work, it transforms into a what is. And he goes, "Well, how, what do you mean do my work?" He says, "Well, when you go and you start doing your work in your field, and this horrible." putrid smelling ugly black gooey tarry stuff starts happening that's the what's not you have to sit there with it in the sunlight and eventually it transforms into what is and and our hero said what do you mean sit with it it's going to consume me it's putrid it's ugly it's a monstrous thing and the neighbor just repeated that's just how it works in this kingdom when you encounter something in your territory, within you, on the inward journey, that you feel shame about, that you feel pain about, that you feel hurt and confused and overwhelmed by, you sit with it in the light of awareness, and that's when it transforms into a what is. And I am. The truth of you is not the gunk that you fear. The truth of you is the brilliance and light of the creative force of mind energy itself expressing in form, of consciousness itself as a spark of the divine expressing in you in this moment. And everything that you carry around with you that's less than that is your work. To see and to question at deeper and deeper levels and to sit with until it is revealed to be false, and you understand with a felt sense of the depth of truth that that is not who you are, that you are a spark of the divine. So that's our time for today. I will remind us all that we come from love. We're made of the stuff we call love. We actually are love, and everything else is false. And I will welcome Jeannie Rice. Thank you, Dr. Jim. Uh, I came in a little late. What were you reading from? Which book? That is the Christian Sundberg book, A Walk in the Physical. Oh, okay. Gotcha. And then I was telling some Guy Finley stories around it, and talking about Michael's whole body of tools and of course in miracles and I was all over the map today. <laughs> <laughs> well, I enjoyed the last part that I caught in on. <laughs> all right. Thank well, you. thank you so much. You're you're very welcome and deserving. Have a great show. Thank you. So welcome everybody to the second hour of Mind Shifters Radio and today is Wednesday, May the thirty first, twenty twenty three. It is hard to believe that five months have already flown by. Our call-in number is 563-999-3581. And press 1, and that puts you into queue to talk to us. And we would love to hear your comments and your questions, because that makes this your show. And before I start reading from the uh, Michael Singer uh, Untethered Soul, and while I'm waiting on Michael to get dialed in, I want to share something that we did with Aria yesterday. Um, she was uh, 
had a new toy and she was playing with it and she goes, oh, it's it's afraid. And I said, okay, now afraid is an emotion. I said, and emotions are shadows of thoughts. And she looked at me real funny and I said, you know, she was standing in the middle of the room and I said, okay, look, I said, you've got a shadow. I said, but that's not you. I said, but it's a reflection. It's light reflecting and creating the shadow. And so then we got her little emotion balls out. And I said, okay, we don't have one that says afraid, but we have one that says anxious. I said, so let's put that behind. So the little unicorn toy is sitting there, and she puts the little anxious emotion behind it, like it's its shadow. And I said, okay, so what is the thought that unicorn has that makes it experience the feeling of being afraid? And she looked for a moment and thought for a moment and and so I suggested, I said, you know, maybe it thinks, we were playing dentist. And I said, so maybe it thinks that it's going to hurt. And so that generates the uh, emotion of being afraid. I said, but what if she changes her thought to, oh, this is a nice dentist and he's easy and he's going to take care of me and, and everything's going to be great. I said, then what emotion can we change the fear to by changing the thought? And she reached up and she got the one that says um, uh, confidence. And she put it back there. And I said, okay. I said, that's good. And so we played that for quite a while yesterday. And we would go through different emotions. And I would get her to, you know, say, okay, now what's the thought that's creating that emotion? And so I told her, I said, so now when... You or somebody else is having an experience of an emotion that you don't like. I said, you can change your thought and change the emotion. And she looked at me and she's like, I can't do that at school. And I said, well, I said, maybe you can. I said, you know, if you're playing on the playground and and one of your friends, you know, has some kind of upset, you can help them to change their thoughts and change the way that they feel. And I said, you know, it doesn't have to be a big thing, a big to-do or whatever. And I said, and you can practice it with mommy and daddy and with us. And so that that ended up being a pretty cool game yesterday. And uh, so Michael's with us. Um, I don't know if you want to say something before I start reading out of the book or not. The Hello, thought I would <laughs> add as you're as you're talking about that is that would be a really awesome idea for a game to create that game. As right, a kid's game. which is basically what we were doing, you know, between us. Yeah. But, yes, it would be a good yeah. kid's game to put out yeah. there. You could put that together and put a set of emotions, and, you know, that could be a really powerful gift to parents and Maybe. children. You know, when people grow up and learn that, geez, my feelings are caused by me, not by what's going on out there. It's the difference of night and day. I have to think about it. Maybe I can even create some kind of app. Mm-hmm. Yes. So, well, I'll put that on my to-do list as if I don't have much. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> I'll support you in it for sure. That's that's I think an awesome idea. Yeah, she's she's really getting you know uh, some of the concepts and like we shared, you know, that she was talking to her mom and dad about canceling that thought, and so this just took it to another level of changing the thought and then also uh, working towards learning how to cancel the goal. But she's definitely a trip. Sweet. Yesterday, 
<laughs> going home with her, and uh, she was real quiet. And I'm like, well, sing me a song. No. I said, well, tell me a poem. No. I said, well, tell me a story. Nene, shush. I said, what? I said, are you wanting to go to sleep? Yes. <laughs> she was gone within just a minute. I said, okay. You, she I'll won't admit that she's, she needs to rest. She's at that, right. I'm not tired. You know, she can be standing there and her eyelids are at two-thirds closed. And I'm not tired. I'm not, it's like, well, why didn't she just lay down? No, I'm not tired. <laughs> so it's cool that she uh, was able to own that and admit she was ready yeah. to rest. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Definitely a wondrous, wondrous creature and opportunity for us. And the sweetness is amazing. So, um, yesterday we started reading Chapter 4 of The Untethered Soul by Michael Singer, and it's titled The Lucid Self. And uh, talked about, you know, being aware that you're aware and the nature of consciousness and everything. So we'll continue a couple of paragraphs anyway on that. So the key is that consciousness has the ability to concentrate on different things. The subject, consciousness, has the ability to selectively focus awareness on specific objects. If you step back, you will clearly see that objects are constantly passing before you at all three levels, mental, emotional, and physical. When you're not centered, your consciousness invariably gets attracted toward one or more of these objects and focuses on them. If it concentrates enough, your sense of awareness loses itself in the object. It is no longer aware that it is aware of the object. It just becomes object conscious. Have you ever noticed that when you're deeply absorbed in watching TV, you have no awareness of where you're sitting or what else is going on in the room? The TV analogy is perfect for examining how our center of consciousness shifts from awareness of self to being lost in the objects that we're focused upon. The difference is that instead of sitting in your living room getting absorbed in the TV, you're sitting in your center of consciousness getting absorbed in the screens of your mind, emotions, and outside images. When you concentrate on the world of the physical senses, it draws you in. Then your emotional and mental reactions draw you in further. At that point, you are no longer sitting in the center self. You are absorbed in the inner show that you're watching. So let's look at your inner show. You have an underlying pattern of thoughts that goes on around you all the time. The pattern of thoughts stays pretty much the same. You are as familiar and comfortable with your normal thought patterns as you are with the living space of your home. You also have emotions that are your norm. A certain amount of fear, a certain amount of love, a certain amount of insecurity. You know that if certain things happen, one or more of these emotions will flare up and dominate your awareness. Then eventually they will settle back down to norm. You know this so well that you are very busy inside making sure nothing happens to create these disturbances. In fact, you are so preoccupied with controlling your world of thoughts, emotions, and physical sensations that you don't even know you're in there. That is the normal state for most people. When you are in this lost state, you get so totally absorbed in the objects of thoughts, feelings, and senses that you forget the subject. Right now, you are sitting in the center of consciousness watching your personal TV show. But there are so many interesting objects distracting your consciousness that you can't 
help but get drawn into them. It's overwhelming. It's three-dimensional. It's all around you. All of your senses draw you in, sight, sound, taste, smell, and touch, as well as your feelings and your thoughts. But you are really sitting quietly inside looking out at all these objects. Just as the sun does not leave its position in the sky to illuminate objects with its radiating light, so consciousness does not leave its center to project awareness onto the objects of form, thoughts, and emotions. If you ever want to recenter, just start saying hello inside over and over, and then notice that you are aware of that thought. Don't think about being aware of it. That's just another thought. Simply relax and be aware that you can hear hello being echoed in your mind. That is your seat of centered consciousness. Breathing with you and powerful. Waking up from the has-been. As we spoke about yesterday, the, the mind stores things with great deals of emotion, great emphasis and energy, and the tendency is for that when it moves in us to knock us unconscious. And this practice of being aware of yourself as a human being, as love, allows you to awaken from that. It's interesting. We live in a culture now where if you are awake to the, um, should I say, some of the abuses that have and continue to happen in our culture, there's a, a whole faction of people that's made that something derogatory. Gee, I'm aware that there are people who are being abused and have been abused for too long and there needs to be fairness. And, and, and so this word woke has happened. And uh, I think it's time for us all to be woke. It's time for us to wake up and recognize the connectedness of all of us as human beings. I love what Einstein says. He says, if you think you're separate or separated from the rest of humanity, you're living in an optical delusion. And yet those who would wake up to the oneness and therefore the need for justice and fairness are being degraded as some kind of anomaly. And it just uh, speaks of the kinds of brainwash that have taken over our culture. Uh, I understand in Florida there are books being banned left, right, and center, and I saw an article on it yesterday. And, you know, one of the books that the the state came in and collected at a school system in Florida, I mean, they had bins and bins and bins and bins, like huge bins of books. And one of them, you know, somebody was showing them on camera and going through the books, and one of them was The Life of Rosa Parks. It's like, you banned The Life of Rosa Parks? What? what's going on and it's it's time for us to wake up to who we are and the fact that the truth is there really is only one of us and that optical delusion that the mind creates of separateness is something that leaves us in this ego state the state of being edged out of the experience of ourselves and others as love and the connectedness of all of life And so waking up to the truth of who we are becomes a really key part of the process. And then being able to forgive the brainwashed noise that perpetuates the insanity of that sleep state of mind, of that that state where 
one thinks one is superior to others and to recognize that truth is if we if we could alter the rate of vibration in which our eye receives information we'd see that we are all literally interconnected and the work of awakening from the unconsciousness of you know somebody superior to somebody else is a, a major piece of work especially if you're the one that's on the end of thinking i'm superior and to recognize that truthfully we are all energetically linked we are all energetically connected So the work of awakening from the has-been, from the past. You know, if I define a word as a tool of communication, you know, I was in a classroom and we had uh, interaction going on, I might say, so is, is that a reasonable definition for you? A word is a tool of communication? Most people, yeah, that's, that's a reasonable definition. And being a tool of communication, of course, communication indicates that there's an interaction between two or, or more, right? So most people would agree with that. And then I would invite you to notice that there are words running in your head right now that you're not speaking to me or anybody else. If words are tools of communication indicative of an interaction between two, who's in there with you? You know, one of the base lessons in the Course in Miracles is I have given this all the meaning that it has for me. By the way, if you'd like to join us tomorrow at 3.30 Eastern Time, I'm sure Jeannie's already put a link in the notes, we'll be doing the um, Hear My Voice Global Book Club out of London, England at 8.30 tomorrow night is a time in London, but here it's 3.30 in the afternoon. And the, uh, the facilitator of the book club is starting a Course in Miracles study. Um, having heard us and others speak about it, she decided to pick it up and, uh, or at least to go ahead and schedule it. And then she ordered the book and realized what she'd, what she'd taken on, that it was a big chunk of work. I suggested she'd need two years for it. But in any event, uh, I agree that tomorrow afternoon, 3.30, I'll be doing a, uh, a lesson called Introduction, Advanced Understanding of A Course in Miracles. And it's one of the DVDs that we normally sell through our website to support this work. And last night, Jean and I watched it. It's a video that I created. I'm not even sure exactly, but somewhere in the range of 35 years ago and haven't watched it since. So since I was going to present that lesson in the Global Book Club tomorrow, I decided to go back and, and give a listen to that video. And frankly, I was absolutely blown away in, in the best sense. The way that the information came together, I, you know, there's a part of me that knew it was a good lesson when I did it, but looking at it from the perspective of 35 years later, there is so much in that lesson. It's so profound, and it, you know, basically brings quotes forward from many places. I think I cover something like 70 different quotes.
and uh, and the page number and the line in the in the book is integrated into the video. In any event, I was going to do that lesson live, but after watching it, I contacted Yinka and said, you know, I, I couldn't duplicate that lesson today. I don't know how I'd even do that lesson. And so what do you say we just watch the video? And so if you want to watch one of the videos from our catalog that normally has got a fee attached to it, then please join us tomorrow at 3.30 in the afternoon. Again, you can look on whyagain.org under events, and there'll be a link there for the Zoom call. And or I'm sure, as I say, Jeannie's put it in the notes already. If you want to join us, it'd be awesome. After we watch the video, it's about an hour and a half, so it'll be 3.30 till 5 o'clock. Uh, we're going to do a Q&A. So if you'd like to join us for that, it'd be fun to have you there. But the the core, the bottom, one of the bottom line in the context of the conversation we're having now uh, in the course is that I have given all of this the meaning that it has for me. And it kind of parallels where Michael Singer is going with this book called The Untethered Soul, where he's pointing out this voice that moves in us and all the things this voice has to say that are totally and completely insane, meaningless, part of a brainwash that's been going on for generations and generations. So it has a similar tact and a similar goal of waking up from the past in the mind and actually being able to live fully awake and aware in the present moment as active present love and in the context of the uh, the name of Michael's book, untethered from the mind, untethered from the past and all the meanings that we've had you know, drummed into us, sometimes beaten into us, uh, sometimes conclusions we've come to through misinterpreted painful experiences and to recognize that it is my mind that's having this conversation and it's giving meanings that degrade the possibility of an actual present moment experience. So in a very similar way, at least my understanding of Michael Singer's book and work is to bring people to the same places we're working with as the forgiveness process as Course in Miracles to wake up to and develop the faculties for experiencing what's actually going on at any given moment from an energetic level rather, rather than experience interpretations from the mind and think that our mind's interpretations are in fact the experiences we're having. Maybe I need to clarify that a little bit. It may be the experience that we're having, but it's not the truth of the experience that's being expressed. And so, of course, that tool of dismantling the past, dismantling from the mind what never belonged. There has been literally a chapter in the book, Why Is This Happening to Me Again? By the way, if you haven't read the book and you'd like to get a copy of it, unfortunately, we can't sell you one because it's out of print. However, you can go to our website and if you go to whyagain.org forward slash book, you'll see there's a free link. You can download the book in any one of a dozen or so different languages. 
and or you can go on Amazon or eBay. You know, the book was published a quarter better than a quarter of a century ago. And uh, fortunately, way back then, we sold enough copies that it's pretty much spread around the globe. And uh, there are always used copies available on YouTube and, or pardon me, on uh, eBay and Amazon. I'm sure other used bookstores as well, but and they're usually you know not much more than a couple of bucks. Although we've seen people have have them listed at three thousand dollars. Like I'm I'm not sure why, but <laughs> I guess somebody figures if somebody comes along and you know decides to buy it, they'll buy it. But in any event, so it's out there, and the whole focus is that. The only reason if you're stuck in a why is this happening to me again experience is because you don't know how to change your mind. As Jean started out talking with Aria, you know, a new level of learning for a child of four is to recognize that her feelings, her pardon me, her emotions are shadows of her own thoughts. Like in a world where the most common conversation is you made me mad, you made me sad, you made me afraid, you hurt me, that upset me, they disturbed me. All based in lies and projection. And so here we have a child of four who is understanding that, oh, my emotions are a result of my thinking. And I have the ability to change my thinking. You go back 2,000 years ago, and Paul spoke about being transformed by the renewal of your mind. And, in fact, this work is about dropping the body's mind, what, what most people would normally call mental function, and trading that in for a different mind a mind that was called in the ancient teachings the mind of love or the mind of Christ. That that mind's always available to us as well. And and there's nothing religious about that word or about that idea. Actually, in Aramaic, the word Christ would be more literally the buttered one or the anointed one. If one had awakened, had gone beyond the normal mind of the world and, and was woke, from that mind that they then took on and began to own the mind of love in them. And so that was called the mind of Christ, and it became uh, confused with the name of a man rather than recognizing, actually, in Aramaic, the word Christ is a, a label that's given to an office. So, you know, if I were to run in an election and, and win the... Uh, the, the post of mayor of the city, you might call me Mayor Michael, but mayor isn't part of my name. It's a title. The word Christ in Aramaic is a title as well. It's not a religious idea. It's not the name of a man. There are many confusing interpretations of what those original words meant in Aramaic, and when we get back to the original words, it all just starts to fall in place and make sense. So joining each and every one in waking from the has-been, and delighted that you're here to be part of this conversation. And Ms. Jean, do we have anybody in the phone queue with a hand up or anything happening in the chat room? 
No, it is all quiet. So somebody press one and you are first in line without waiting. We'd love to hear from you. Direct the conversation here today. How can we support you? If you're listening on one of those stations where we can't see you on our control panel, our call-in number is 563-999-3581. If you call that number, you'll be listening to the show directly. And then if you push one, that will raise a hand in the control panel, and Jeannie will know that you want to talk to us. She'll open your microphone. We'll have a conversation. So what's on your mind? How can we support you? Anything else moving for you at this moment, Jeannie? No, I'm good. But, oh, we did have a hand go up. And there it is. I think it's Miss Julie in Ashland, Oregon. Stop for one. You're on the air. Sweet. Hi. Hey there, young lady. Hi. Welcome. <clears throat> well, um, How are I things in Oregon? Welcome. Are you still there? <laughs> yeah, I'm um, in my storage unit doing the last day of getting everything in the box and taped up and labeled where it's going. And so I have, like, my, I'm going to get it done today. I feel good about it. All right. Well, congratulations. That's a big job. <laughs> no kidding. I've been through a few roller coasters. Um but I just feel like today is, you know, you know that expression, be, do, have. And so we can be human beings or human doings or human havings. And so right. a lot of this process has been just really letting go of a lot of what I have and feeling, feeling the goodness of the flow as I give it away. And, um, and, observing and being aware of what I'm still hanging on to. <laughs> and so right. today I'm, I'm, I'm finalizing a lot of that. And then, uh, but, you know, it, it's about well-being and well-doing and well-having. And so I've added that to that expression, and, and it's helping me really discern uh, what what the meaning of all my stuff is <laughs> So and the purpose it has in my life. So, um, and I'm I'm glad you're doing um, that one of those DVDs. Do you know which one it is? Or because there were, there are only a couple yes. of them for the Course in Miracles. Yeah. yeah. I- Introduction, advanced understanding of a Course in Miracles. Oh yeah. It's a lesson I did some 35 or so years ago in in uh, Tampa, Florida, at a, a recording studio there. And uh, as I say, I hadn't watched it until last night, and I was actually quite impressed with, with the way it came together. It's like <laughs> I didn't, uh, yeah. I, I didn't realize that I was able to assemble information in that way that long ago. So it was, it was, it was fun to watch. Yeah, it's in, innately you. <laughs> yes. Oh. Yes, I must. Well, if you've got the space to join be. us, well, it'll be three thirty Eastern time. Yes, that's twelve thirty this time. Um, that's right in the middle of my usual doing, my well doings. <laughs> but um, I can. Uh, I'm putting it on the calendar, so we'll see if I can. Cool. Well, and it's a Zoom call. You can always just link in and uh, have a headset on with your phone in your pocket and listen and go ahead and do your doing at the same time. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, although it might be beneficial. Yeah, it might be beneficial with the work you're doing to just really take time to sit with it and focus on it because it's a really, it's a really profound lesson, powerful. Yeah, yeah, and I have come across my Course in Miracles book too, so I can pull that aside, um, pack that more like next month. Anyway, um, well, I better go now, but I do appreciate the two of you so much. And um, I came in a little late, but I think that book, um, The Untethered Soul, is what Jeannie was reading from. That seems to yes. be very complimentary. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it is. Yeah. It fits perfectly. Yeah. Cool. Okay. All right, okay. Have well, a nice one. All right. Thanks so much. Okay. You too. Take care. Bye-bye. Mm-hmm. So once again, if you're out there in listener land, 563-999-3581. Call that number you're listening to the show directly. And then if you push one, that raises hand in the control panel, and Gene will know that you want to talk to us. And we have a hand up. Awesome. So it's a long number showing up on the on the switchboard four six seven zero is the first four numbers you're on the air who do we have this is peter hey, hey welcome young man hello glad to hear your voice how That's do you be i'm good how are things in I'm sweden good. spring going over into summer which is great So welcome. After, after yes. the long yeah, winter, it's very long, deep very winter welcome. there. Yeah. yeah, our winter is very short here by comparison. So that's that's wonderful. Um, spending time in the garden and uh, it's lovely. Cool, sweet. Well, what's on your mind today? What's happening in your world? Well, not really having prepared, but uh, here we are. Uh, what you just spoke about, uh, human being, human doing, human having. And I uh, I did a uh, wake-up sheet uh, recently, and um, on 6, I got down to, I see that this deep-rooted core belief of not being enough is surfacing. And and I thought mm. to myself, it seems like an oxymoron in and of itself because shouldn't it really be human doing there? Because human being, I mean, that is complete. And yet the belief I have is that the human being, Peter, is not enough. Do you see what One I'm of those old at? basic power person thought disorders. Yes, sir. Yeah, the, the first, you know, the first thought that breaks us away, you know, in infancy, in, in very early years, breaks us away from living as and, and connected to this presence of love, this state of being. The first thought disorder that most of us are fed, and it's usually from a power person, is the thought something along the lines of you're broken wrong with you and you can't be fixed. That's like the most basic 
tragedy in the world for virtually everyone. And it's a lie. And it's a lie. Yes, it it, it yeah. forces us to split off from the truth of who we are and create a whole total false identity. And you go back to Yeshua, and this is what he was dealing with, and, and the way he said it is, in order for you to live, you've got to die. That false self, the identity you bought into that's based in the lie, ultimately has to be forgiven, i.e. removed. And if that, uh, I don't know scriptures at all, and I hear this uh, statement, the original sin, so would that be referred to the original sin when that first moment when you give up or I give up the uh, the connection with the source, the creator, and I buy into this instead? Buying into the generational thought, you're broken, would be it. Yes, that would be my take exactly. And it's been going on generation after generation after generation forever. And it's passed from one generation, unknowingly, from one generation to the next. You know, I the last time we talked, you were talking about the work you were doing with your son and some of the dynamics there. And I, I, I from what I heard of what you were saying, I would put that in terms of what you were trying to deal with, break down and work through with your son were the original power person messages that you gave him. To crack that and move through it. Would that be accurate? Would that, my understanding of that be accurate? Yeah, it, uh, it is... Uh mainly clearly up here with me, uh, up for me. And uh, yes, my son, actually Elvis is now visiting with us and with uh, my father's passing still very fresh. So it's, uh, yeah, it, it's, I mean, I'm the, I'm the center of this, uh, definitely. And yes, it's spinning off to both, uh, both ways, so to speak. My mm. grandfather has also been uh, a lot uh, around me, so yes. Yeah, I don't well, even remember. Space. I, I, I wouldn't think I was going to go back and listen to because I don't even remember uh, at what point that uh, the floodgate opened last time I called into the show. I mean, I remember the the topic and the issue, and uh, I don't remember the what it was that actually opened the floodgate the way it did. Yeah, and, I don't have immediate recall after, of that specifically either. Yeah. No, I, I, I've been thinking I was going to re- re-listen to it and revisit that. Uh, but I did remember having the thought because the sensation was... Um, um, almost as strong as way back then when you when you sat with me when I had the experience of really giving up uh, the connectedness, the source, and uh, this was almost as powerful. And that's when I had this thought of, oh, is this what they mean about the original sin? When you 
the first time you can recall when you actually give up love for whatever it is that you're giving it up for. That would be it. That would be it. And I certainly join you in ferreting it out and removing it. And, you know, when, when, when the physicist Yeshua said a little leavening leavens the whole loaf, he was talking about how if enough of us would do that piece of work, it would open the space for a mass awakening from that original energy that's off the mark. Jean, you had a thought to share? I was just going to say that was back on May the 19th, and we were talking about the power person dynamic, and Michael actually uh, had quoted the song by Hank Williams, Living Out the Family Tradition, and uh, you had talked about having a conversation and connectedness with Tanya that was really great the night before, and then that morning all new stuff had surfaced, and Michael had been talking yeah. about the vitality being strengthened when two are connected and and uh, the pain of knowing the answer and yet not being able to fix it and dissolving the inner voice yeah, and the inner dialogue from the generational pain. So that was kind of, but that was back on the 19th. Yeah, that's that's what it was, the pain. Uh, the pain came up really strong, the pain of uh, not being able to fix it. To fix it all. There we go. Well, I remember and the truth because I is, had several questions. Yeah. It's eminently What's repairable. Say it again? I say it's eminently repairable and, you know, where Jean started the conversation about Aria is to recognize that it's a shadow of a thought. The, the pain, the trauma of it is simply a shadow of that thought disorder, the original thought disorder that was we bought into, and to let loose of that thought, to really forgive that thought so that that block was no longer present. I remember having, yes, and I remember having uh, some more question that on the 19th, as, as Jeannie said, and some days before you had been talking about uh, the power person uh, worksheet. And my right. question was that even not doing that specific um, worksheet, doing the forgiveness process and even if I don't consciously state or voice out that oh this is the power person dynamic by doing the forgiveness process in and of itself it will be dealing with the power person dynamic exactly and I don't remember whether we talked about it that day but there's a, a worksheet or a chart uh, entitled The Physiological Effects of Emotional Suppression. And you might want to, you know, jump on the website and get that chart because it it literally lays out how 
the endocrine system is shut down by those thought disorders where they tend to be stored. And there's kind of a progression, literally a progression of sin, disintegrative mind energy that ultimately shuts the whole system down and kills us, that we kill ourselves with it. And when you, you know, there's a sample, you know, the first one is you're broken, there's something, you know, you're not fixable. And then how the shutdown tends to proceed from there. And that when you look, if you look at that particular chart, you'll see there's a downward arrow on the right-hand side, which is disease, suffering, and death. And on the left-hand side, there's an upward arrow when you start, you know, looking at the thought disorders and forgiving us to those, then moving up the other side is how to get back to aliveness and back to our natural state, which is called enthusiasm, which comes from the root word in theos, theos being the creator, that we're literally, literally designed, you know, when you recognize the creator's love, we're literally designed to live in and as love. And the world knocks that experience out of us and then gives us this false idea of now somebody else is going to supply your love. You have to go out and find somebody to love you or find somebody to love and you're going to supply it to them, which leads to nothing but frustration and more trauma and pain because nobody, nobody can do that for you and you can't do that for anybody else. But we can look at each thought disorder move it out of the system and progressively move back to the point where there's nothing in the mind to separate us from the truth of who we are any longer. And it's only thoughts that do that. Comes around, goes around. I still remember yes. the first uh, the first time I heard you speak of that uh, chart back 25 years ago at Heartland, and I remember when you were talking about enthusiasm. To me, that was just a word. I didn't really have a an understanding of that. And then when you explained enthusiasm, I thought that was so beautiful, and I've always remembered that. And as you were telling it now, realizing that I have more enthusiasm in my life now than I had 25 years ago. Uh, so thankful for that. Mm-hmm. And, and literally, that would translate more God, more of the presence of love. Yeah. And that the game of the world is to shut us out of that. And by shutting us out of that, you know, then we have kings that become our gods. And kings want to keep it that way. You know, those who want to rule the world uh, have to shatter our direct relationship with ourselves as a presence of love in order to take us over and get us to do the crazy things that people do for kings. <laughs> Like what make war on other people and steal their property and justify that in the name of war. So many crazy things have been done to separate us from the truth of who we are. Uh, I 
I laughed at your comment the other day. You said civil war. There's no such thing as a civil war. <laughs> right. Oxymoron, big time. Never thought of that, but uh, yeah, I had a good laugh about that one. Yeah. Well, yeah, interestingly crazy idea. enough, um, interestingly enough, because what I said now, uh, or realizing when uh, Jeannie was reading from what happened on 19th, that the pain for me was the little child uh, not being able to fix the world, i.e. mom and dad, and make everything uh, great. And as I shared, the two weeks with my father uh, before him passing, and I don't think I've ever been able to be as connected, be experiencing the being, the love that I am, as much as I did those two weeks. And the one time that I did not, uh, I, I really lost it, was when, in my mind, he did something uh, that was wrong, not supporting uh, the healing process that we were aiming for. And the other day, um, Elliot, there was something with Elliot, and in my world, it was, uh, the thought that was presented in my mind was that he was not, he was doing wrong, he was not doing the right thing, um, and that's so it's exactly the thing that I just have a ton of it in my system and uh, and then so clearly with my father and with my son the exact same uh, right thought pattern thought handing out your daily dose of disapproval having been handed that exactly wow and constantly, ha- not constantly, but often having that, in, like you said, with now the Michael Singer book, the voice within, and so often the voice being just that voice. Right. And many people so would ready say, to well, let go of yeah, many people would say, well, but how could I possibly um, approve of that, quote unquote, wrong behavior? And... Letting go of disapproval doesn't mean you have to approve. It means you simply stand as a space of being, as a space of love. Whatever's going on. So if I see someone in a place of what my mind says is error, which may or may not be error for them, do I have to give up functioning as love to be part of that? And the answer is the only thing that will stop me from functioning as love is that voice in my head that gives us a meaning that says, oh, well, now I have to, I have to commit my error <laughs> to match theirs. Yeah, because really the love is called for more than ever in a situation like that. And the situation with exactly. my father was, I mean, we, he was dealing with uh, everything that he was dealing with. And it seemed that thing was, as soon as th- things got a little bit better, he found a cigarette and smoked. And with his lungs being the the major thing we were dealing with. And right. him, him, him taking a cigarette, it, more than anything, it was just showing that how lost he was and he wasn't able to stay connected to his source. And I 
answer that because it felt like he took a dagger and stabbed me with it. Mm. <laughs> and there was nothing that happening, but that's how it felt. I mean, that he was just completely wrecking everything. So that was the thought, completely wrecking everything. Was that a thought yeah. disorder that was fed to you as a child, that you were completely wrecking everything? Did that no, tie in uh, at all with what happened with Elliot? Yes. I mean, that's the whole scenario here now. Uh, like I said on the 19th, it's not that they told that I was um, – wrecking it but watching mom and dad and dad being drunk him wrecking the situation and the pain i experienced was that i wasn't able to fix it i wasn't able to fix mom and dad yeah so my offering at this point i think one of the most powerful things you could do around that whole circumstance that happened with elliot would be to do a responsibility communication to write out you know, take the, the responsibility communications rules that are on the website and or, you know, there are yeah. two or three sample letters and really sit down and write that whole responsibility communication out with him in that circumstance. And that will uncover, you know, the deepest parts. You know, remember in the codependence worksheet, the the turnaround is, that you look at what your advice is to them and then recognizing how projection works that I've given them the advice that I need to follow. So how am I going to follow my own advice here? If you looked at the piece of advice you would have given Elliot in that situation, where in your life have you not followed that advice? And where is it time for you to follow yeah. that advice? Last night, the very exact same scenario happened with Tanya. So, <laughs> oh, we all in this and what was your advice to her? She was going to do her work. She was going to face her... Uh, the disintegrate. I didn't say this because I knew it was not going to go well, but I had it clearly lined out what she was going to do. When are you finally going to sit down and face this pain that you're experiencing so clearly now, my dear beloved wife, Peter? (laughs) (laughs) So, Peter, when are you going to sit down and face that pain? Well, I'm sitting down right now, so how about now? Yay. Right on track. So it might be a good worksheet to do, you know, tying this in. It sounds like the universe is really knocking on your door. It'll take some time to, you know, look at the responsibility communication perhaps in terms of the situation with Elliot. But with that being so fresh with, uh, with Tanya last night, what was your goal for her? And what happens if you cancel the goal for her to sit down and do do her work, face that pain? What comes up in your mind when you think about that? Mm -hmm. Which is what you wanted from dad, which is what you wanted from 
your son, right? Um, now, of so, course, the yes. question you ask of yourself is, so who's the common link in these experiences? Who was there at every one of them? Exactly. Breathing? Are you breathing? Yes, yes, yes. And when did you start? Breathing or... (laughs) Go for it. Breathing and crying, breathing and laughing this time, breathing and crying last time. Uh Uh-huh. Well, this this morning I did a wake-up sheet on competition, meaning competition with archery, and coming down to the forgiveness process of it, uh, it was so clear that I could, and the the pattern that was um, surfacing was that I, I can't make it. Um, um, I'm not strong. I was not strong enough. I'm not good. I can't make it. Uh, and uh, I mm. lose it. And uh, and at some point, it became so clear that uh, the Swedish word here, compete, uh, was the the trigger. And it was so clear that I could. I was interchangeable to life that life, I can't do it, I can't handle it, uh, I don't have what it takes, I'm not good. So it, w- it was, again, like you say now, who was there every time? Well, I'm, I'm there every time, and it's, it's that. Good breath. And that was the pain last time also that i that I'm not strong enough, I'm not good enough that I can't do it i I can't fix it all so that I can't tell my mean to be strong enough cancel I need to be good enough. And I cancel my need to fix it all. It's like canceling for the ten thousand time. Uh huh. 77 times 70, this is your core issue. Big time. And then the pain comes. The pain that I can't fix it. Well, I'd offer that's another thought disorder. And the truth is, you are fixing it right now. Not finished yet, but you are doing it right now. It's a thought disorder to think you can't and you're not. 
because here you are, you're doing it. And look at look at the progress you've made. Look at the fruit of your work. You know, that time with your father, to me, it's it was like just such a powerful reward, such a powerful um, benefit of the years of work that you've put in. That the average person would just go out, you know, if the if the family tradition was to go get drunk, the average person, when that kind of stress occurred, would just be out getting drunk. Instead, you're standing as a space of active, present love for healing one of you know the the biggest issues that can happen in a family system. You are healing it. You have healed monumental quantities, and here you are at the next level. And in your genes, there are probably an uncountable number that are saying, yes, Peter, open this gate. I'm ready for this energy to go. Will you process it for me? And you'll drain that trauma energy off for a thousand generations. I actually have my grandfather on my side now as I'm jumping up and down. It's exciting. Mm. I hear you. So we're with you holding the space, and the show's going to cut us off any minute, but we'll just let it run through to completion and just hang with you. Breathe with you. Admire and acknowledge your courage and your strength, your willingness and your intelligence. Pretty powerful, pretty profound. Thank you for your willingness. It's powerful, Peter. Thank you. Thank you. Powerful gift. I can I can hear it. A thousand generations in there saying, oh, my God, somebody in the bloodline, somebody finally is overcoming our original sin. Whew. And when you're healed, you're never healed alone.
holding this space with you.